0: Galatians chapter 3, we pick back up in verse 6. If you remember, uh, chapter the book of Galatians is broken up into three, three parts. We're in the second part, and we're looking at how, uh, you know, we're seeing how God is using Paul here to write down uh, some Incredibly important scripture for you and I about justification by faith. We're justified by faith. We have been forgiven by faith. And it's not about just forgiving of our sins. Just like we've never sinned before. Justification just as if we've never sinned before. But his blood, his sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection to life. Has actually taken away our sins like we've never done them before. So when someone looks at your life and says, have you ever been arrested? They'll look at your entire history of your life and say, no, he's never been arrested. Even though you were (laughs) were in jail, you were were in bondage, you were were in sin, it has been wiped away clean. See, it's amazing. As a Christian, we keep thinking about our sins in the past. I don't know why we think about our sins in the past because they are gone. There's nothing on paper. There's nothing. There's. It's been white as snow. Anybody who knows snow better than you and I, how white that is, is up here in the north country. Try thinking of that in the middle of a desert. And <laughs> the scripture talks about snow. You know, it's not as prevalent as we understand it in the north country. So as we see this, we saw the first part of chapter 3 and 4 takes us into the next second part of the the scriptures. But in the first part of chapter 3, we took the first five verses, and it was about Paul, his personal argument to justification by faith. Personally, we know how we have been changed, that God has cleansed us, renewed us, made us new, born-again experience, we're not the same creature. Now, today, we're going to see the second part of chapter three, which is Paul's uh, or scriptural argument of, and he's going to use the scripture to help support why justification by faith. Because he's combating against these religious leaders, these religious, these Judaizers, these people who are trying to bring the believers in the Gentile world, even Jews who are living in that area, back into the law. Versus the new covenant of grace. So today we'll see the second part. The scriptural argument. And Paul turns now from a subjective experience, that personal experience that he shared in verses 1 through 5, to an objective evidence or doctrinal explanation of the justification by faith. By using the word of God. If you want to explain what you believe you use only the word of God. Amen? Don't try to use someone else who wrote a book or your own personal thoughts. You must come back to the word of God that is true, that is sound, that is for sure. And you can, you can sleep very well at night when you share the word of God because you know it is true. Because it is of God. He never judged, we never judge the scriptures by our experience. We test our experience by the word of God. Did I just have a God moment? I don't know. What does the scripture say about that? If it conflicts with the word, it was not of God, regardless of how you feel. But if you had a God moment, a God experience, and you it lines up with the word, praise him. Because God is moving and, and revealing himself in a personal way to you. In the first section, Paul asked six questions, if you remember. In this section, he's going to quote six Old Testament statements to prove that salvation is by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. And since the Judaizers wanted to take the believers back into the law, take them back into that religiosity, Paul quotes the law itself to show that that is not where God had intended Man has changed those things. That wasn't God's intention. And since they magnified the place of Abraham in this region and in this religion, Paul uses Abraham as one of his key witnesses right in the very beginning to help to solidify what he's trying to get across to the people. And he starts off here in verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God, words. believe God. Not believed in God, but believed God. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now we read out of Genesis chapter 17. God revealed himself. He spoke to Abram. Abram believed God in what he said. And then God changed his life. Even changed his name to Abraham. This is a new life going forward. You're not living in the past anymore, Abram. You are now Abraham. You are going to live according to my way. You're going to follow me. You're going to do and be obedient to what I, in the direction I'm going with your life. You don't have a say in the direction of yours. I want you to freely follow me by faith. Amazing change. Because Abram believed God... And it was accounted to him. Cha-ching. God just deposited righteousness into an empty life. A dead life. A life that he lived so unrighteous, so wrong. incredibly heathen life. Worshipping multiple gods. And by faith, he heard God's voice and he believed. Cha ching. Righteousness came into his life. When you and I got saved, cha ching. Righteousness was deposited into your account, into your life. See, just as Abraham, among the Galatian Christians, the push towards a works-based relationship with God came from these certain Judaizers, these certain Christians who were born as Jews and now, whom they think they can make it better by telling these people that yes, you you became and you believed in Jesus, but you now have to the law back in. You have to add good works to justify and make God be pleased by God to, to bring him back into good works. If You do enough good stuff for God now because you love him, That you're going to make him happier. You're going to make him love you more. But that's not it. He fully committed in his love for you on the cross before you even want anything to do with him. These, these, these Christians who claimed Abraham as their spiritual ancestor said you had to go back and add the law now, based on versus just faith. But Paul here used Abraham as an example of being right before God by faith and not by faith plus works. If you remember Paul here he's sitting here quoting out of Genesis fifteen six, and it simply shows that righteousness was accounted to Abraham because he believed God not because he did anything except believe and we see that same word uh, throughout the scriptures here in the uh, it's like the, the gospel of the Old Testament is what it's referred to and it's quoted four more times in the New Test- or four times in the New Testament Romans 4 3 Romans 4 verses 9 and 10, and Romans 4 and then again here in Galatians 3 6, where Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. See, in Genesis chapter 15, 1 through 6, showed that when Abraham put his trust in God, specifically in God's promise, To give him children, that would eventually bring forth the Messiah. God credited that belief of Abraham's account as righteousness. Abraham was not justified merely because he believed that God would multiply his seed or multiply and give him lots of children. Oh, you're going to give me children? How many children? You're going to create nations from me and I'm at 99 years of age? Are you kidding me? I, I believe that. I've been hoping for some children. No, no. It was beyond just a promise of getting children. He was promised that the Messiah would come through his seed. That's what he believed. And it happened. Just exactly what God said. He trusted. And because he trusted, he was, Abraham was accounted as righteous. It wasn't because he performed some work to get this. And he's certainly not because he was circumcised because the covenant of circumcision had not yet been given at that point in time. Because remember these Judaizers just says, hey, you gave your life to Jesus, you believe in Jesus, but you still need to get circumcised. So Paul said, "Wait, wait, wait, that's not how it works." Works is not in impa- part of this. It is faith alone. Let me use Abraham as an example. He was accounted righteous because he believed God. Not because he got circumcised. That was even even in the thoughts at that point in time. Romans 4 9-10 makes it clear this righteousness was accounted to Abraham before the, it was circumcised in, in Genesis 17. No one could say Abraham was made righteous because of his obedience or fulfilling of a religious law or ritual. How many times do we hear that today? I feel, I feel really good about my relationship with God because I kept the ritual. Because I I, I I ate a certain way on Friday or I got something put on my forehead or because I went to church or because I, I read the Bible and I did it five times this week. I was really doing good. Yes, you, that's great. But that doesn't make you righteous. It doesn't change and improve what God has already done in you. Those things of drawing close to God, being in his word and praying and and fellowshipping and and participating in the things that God has, that helps you in your growth and your sanctification process. It doesn't make you more right with God because it's his righteousness that he put into your account. You didn't go earn it and say, ooh, I earned $100 of righteousness today. Put that in my account because it seems a little low in my account today. Because I really did some serious sitting this last week. And it's my my account's a little bit drained. So I better go out and do some really good things for God so that we can get that back in my account back up a little bit. Because I'm getting down where it's going to be draft protection only. Earn righteousness. It's God who does the work. We know and we see in the scripture there's two types of righteousness. There's a righteousness we accomplished by our own efforts. Let me go out there and earn it. And then there's righteousness accounted to us by the work of God when we believe. And since none of us can be good enough to accomplish perfect, perfect righteousness we must have god's righteousness accounted to us by doing just what abraham did abraham believed god he trusted god he trusted even though he didn't even have it all figured out you know how, how his life was going to play out now and how all these changes in his life and places he was going to live and things he was going to do in in life it, he just trusted god But Abraham's experience shows that God accounts us as righteous because of what Jesus did for us as we receive, as we believe what he did for us by faith. See, those who only believe in God, those who only believe in God, in the sense that they believe he exists, do you believe there's a God? Yes, Pastor, I believe there's a God. Then you're only as spiritual as the demons are. We see that in James chapter 2, verse 19. If you just believe in God, that there is a God, then you're just like the demons. They believe in God. But the question is, are you going to trust or do you believe God? That's the deciding factor for you and me. Believed, of course, means more than just he accepted what God has said is true. Though that is true. Of course that is true. It means that he trusted God. So you see the, the progression? I believe in God. Yeah, so does Satan. So do the demons. I believe what he says is true. And a lot of people say, oh, I believe, yeah, God created the heavens and the earth. Yeah, I, I, I believe that. But the question is, do you trust that? Do you believe God? Does your life reflect a life that is entrusted in God? That's where, that's faith. Abraham wants and that's what Paul is saying to these it's not about your good works and what you're going to do and oh, yeah I, I believe in God yeah yeah, I trust that yeah, that's true That's that's what he's saying is true but does your life change and reflect that trust verse 7 therefore Paul says then therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham now that's a bold statement for Paul to say to these, these Jewish believers, these Judaizers, because the emphasis of God's promise is clear. Paul made an important point here. He wanted each one of his readers to understand that only those who are of faith are of sons of Abraham. See, since Abraham was made righteous by faith and not by works. Abraham was therefore the father of everyone who believes God and is counted righteous. This was a a, a very strong, stiffed arm back against these Jewish Christians who tried to bring Gentile Christians under the law again. They believed they were superior because they descended from Abraham and observed the law. That somehow you're more righteous than someone else. And that's a warning for you and I. You're sitting there with your brothers and sisters and you say, but do you do this for God? Have you you gotten to this point in your walk with God? And you've become more righteous because you have said, I love God and I've been doing this for God. What are you doing for God? self-righteousness can creep into our lives legalism can creep into our lives and we have to avoid that because that's exactly hey i love jesus you love jesus gentiles but do you did you get circumcised are you fully committed are you eating correctly did you keep those the sabbath did you and down the list goes and you on the subtleness of legalism. See, Paul said the most important link to Abraham was not the link of genetics. Just because you were born Jewish doesn't make you more righteous than the Gentile believer. It's not about the genetics. And it's not the link of works, but it is the link of faith. They deeply believe they had a standing before God because they were genetically descended from Abraham. John the Baptist had to deal with that issue, remember? He had to deal with that same thinking when when we see there in Matthew 3.9. He says, do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Well, I was born in a Christian family. So? Does that make you somehow more righteous than me? Because I came from a heathen family and didn't it never even opened a Bible once in my entire life? No. It doesn't. It's the same today. When people believe God accepts them because they come from a christian family or a or a godly descendants or my father, my grandfather, my great grandfather, they were all pastors. No. Remember, it's about a relationship. God is a father, he's not a grandfather. You don't have a relationship with God because you have a Grandfather, a father who's connected to the grandfather. It's a personal relationship with God. But imagine if you're the Gentiles reading this letter. Think about how they felt when they read it. What comfort these Gentile Christians must have had when they've been their whole life was looked down upon as second-class Christians. You're a Gentile. are you? Interesting. You're not a denomination. You're a non-denomination. Interesting. Nothing new under the sun these days. But those Gentile Christians are hearing the truth and they believe what God said to Abraham. That we're all sons of Abraham. You're not second class. You're not just a got in just in time moment. But you're a son of the living God. Amazing. But sadly, Christians, Christians who do not know the, the scripture, who did not take the time to understand the scripture and the glorious truths are missing and causing some major challenges today. They misapplied the scriptures through the centuries, and this has been a kind of a challenge in the fact that they believe now in some Christian circles that God has given up on Israel and the Jews and said, now the church has really replaced the promises of the Jews. They call it replacement theology. The idea that God is finished with the people of Israel as a nation or a distinct ethnic group and that the church spiritually inherits all the promises made to Israel. This replacement theology is false teaching. And you should not be listening to that teaching. Replacement theology has done tremendous damage to the church to Provides even the f- theological fuel for the fires of horrible persecution of the Jews. But we understand the scripture. The Bible, according to the Bible, it, to its entire message and allows the Bible to speak for itself because if you have any question of that, go back and look at the example of Romans chapter 11, verse 25. It says hardening. Hardening in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. It clearly states that God is not finished with Israel as a nation or a distinct ethnic group. Even though God has turned the focus on his saving mercies away from Israel onto the Gentiles, he will not turn away from his people and his promises. So we stand very clearly. God is going to use his people, the Israelites, he's using them today as a, as a, is is like he has it from the very beginning, and at the end times as we've gone through Revelation, we got you're going to see him use his people in Israel and in tremendous. That's the epicenter of the entire thing that's going on in our country today. And the scriptures is right there in the heart of Jerusalem and his people. In verse eight. And It says, the scripture, Paul says, the scripture, the scripture, capital S, it should be in your Bible, capital S. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the nations by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, in you all the nations shall be blessed. See, Paul just used the scriptures to support his argument here. He had already spoken from his personal observation, his personal experience with grace, and from the experience of the Galatian Christians themselves, but this passage is even more important because it shows how Paul's teaching is correct according to the Bible itself. Paul says, I'm not teaching anything that goes contrary to the word of God. I'm using the scriptures to prove what I'm telling you here. Paul's doctrinal and structural explanation about grace is firmly connected right from the very beginning in Genesis. have been just fine for Paul's opponents to say experiences are just fine, Paul, but show us the scripture. You can say you're having tremendous experience, God's working in your life, but show me the scripture that supports it. And he was happily to do it because Paul knew the scripture. It's remarkable. Paul really emphasizes for you and I something very clearly. That it was God's word is speaking here. Paul is regarding the Bible as God's word here, right here. Paul believed that when the scripture spoke, God spoke. referred to scripture speaking as though God were speaking and so it can be rightly be affirmed what the Bible says God says this and similar verses and I'll give them to you John chapter 10 verse 35 B end of 35 for you Bible Bible students 2nd Timothy 316 2nd Peter 1 verses 20 through 21 Provides incredible support for believing in absolute, total inspiration and authority of Scripture. People today, out there teaching in the churches today, do not believe that the Word of God is God speaking to us directly. They have walked away from the truth of the absolute inspiration and authority of the Scripture. Even though the Bible is clear here and in those scriptures I gave you show that that is not true. This is God's word. And that's why we trust him when we believe God in what he says. Because you have to understand God preached the good news to Abraham centuries ago. Paul brought that same good news to the Galatians and sinners are justified through faith and not by keeping the law. And that's why Paul uses scriptural argument. He uses it as evidence. If God promised to save the Gentiles by faith, then the Judaizers are wrong in wanting to take the Gentile believers back into the law. The true tr- children of Abraham are not the Jews by physical descent, but Jews and Gentiles who believed in Jesus Christ. All those who are of faith, all of those who are believers, are blessed with believing Abraham. The blessing we receive with believing Abraham is not the blessing of tremendous wealth and power. And don't get me wrong, you look at the scripture, Abraham was extremely wealthy and powerful. But the blessing is something far more precious. It's not about wealth and, and, and health. The blessing of a right standing with God through faith is the blessing. And when you read God's great covenant with Abraham that we see in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, you discover that many different blessings were promised. Some personal, some national and political, some were universal and spiritual in nature. But certainly God didn't make Abraham's name great, did he not? He's reverend not only by the Jews, he's even reverend by Christians, Muslims, and other others around the nation, the world. Lift Abraham's name up, just like God said he would. God didn't multiply his descendants, and, and God did not bless those who bless Abraham, even though he did. But he also judged those who cursed his descendants. Ask Egypt. Look what happened to Egypt when they came against him. Or the Babylonian Empire. What Babylonian Empire? How about the Roman Empire? What Roman Empire? You go against God, you're going down. And if nations around and the history doesn't show you that a nation that turns against God is going down, you're 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 just did not. You're just in denial. But the greatest blessing that God sent through Abraham and the Jewish nations have have to do with our eternal salvation. Jesus Christ is that promised seed that we see in verse 16 in chapter 3 That's the great promise. And Abraham believed, and Abraham was blessed. In verse 10 we see as for as many as are the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So, Paul here addresses those who thought that their law performance could give them a right standing before God. These hypocritical doers of the law are those who seek to obtain a righteousness by a mechanical performance. If I perform good works, then I'll be ra- righteous. While their hearts are far removed from God. And it is so clearly prevalent today. People will do all kinds of good works. And make sure everyone knows. I gave a donation to this This organization is doing a great work, but the heart is so far away from God. That's hypocrisy. But Paul says here, for as many as are the the works of the law are under the curse. Those who are following and trying to become righteous because they're following the law is really, they're cursed. These Jewish back people who were back with a Jewish background who believed Gentiles should be live under the law of Moses thought it was a path to blessing. But what Paul is saying here, boldly declaring, instead of blessing, living under the works of law, puts them under the curse. Because he says, you not only have to, if you're going to go down this path of following the law, you have to follow all the law. Not just some of the law, not just some things you want to pick and choose. You have to follow all the law. And not only do you follow it, you have to do at the very end. You must do them. You're going to be held accountable to do them. And if you really knew the law (laughs) and you had to follow the law to the T to become righteous in the eyes of God, to be able to go to heaven, you're incursed. Because the Jewish people, they knew they couldn't follow the law. God knew they couldn't follow the law completely, 100%. It was a tutor. It was to train them up to understand that you have to change. But to bring them back under the law, it's, it's your curse. But don't get me wrong. Some people have said to me, Pastor, but I know some of the scripture says you have to. Let me give you the scriptures now before you write a letter to me. I'll give you two of them now let's talk about. The first one is Psalm 119:1. One. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord, right? I know the other one you're going to say. Psalm 1 verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who walks in the counsel of the un, not in the counsel of the ungodly nor stands in the path of sinners nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. So why does it say we need to meditate in the law and follow the law? What does that mean? Well, we must understand how the law can bring blessing. First, we can see that the word law is used in two senses in the Bible. Sometimes it means the law of Moses with all its commands. Command, you must do this. Command, you must do that. Do this, do that. Don't do this. Don't do that which a man must obey to be approved by God. But sometimes it means God's word in the very general sense. Those two verses in Psalm is general sense. You are to meditate on the word of God. You are to know the word of God. So secondly, we are blessed when we keep the law because we are living according to the instruction manual for life. There's an inherent built-in blessing in living the way God says we should live and fulfilling the owner's manual recommendations. So as you study the word of God and God gives you commandments, you shall not. That's not a bad thing. He actually says as an owner's manual, because he knows who you are, he knows you're going to get hurt if you do those things. Why would you not listen to the owner's manual? Why? Because some of us don't like to read directions, now do we? When's the last time you thumbed through the fine print when you bought some piece of mechanical thing? I know you wives did, but the husbands didn't do it. I, I know one family, the wife and the husband would never read an owner's manual, but the kids do. Because they said, and I said, why do you read? Because you don't see the two of them go at each other and going, no, you did it wrong. So we figured if we read the directions and guide dad and mom, especially with computers, it saves a lot of problems. It really does. When Paul said that as many are as are of the works of the law are under the curse, he didn't mean that the law was bad. Or the word of God is wrong. He simply meant that God never intended the law to be the way we find our approval before God. He knew we could never keep the law. Is that it not a merciful God? That He doesn't give you something you and I can't accomplish in His strength. And so God instituted the system of atoning sacrifice along with the law. That's grace. And the entire sacrificial system looked forward to what Jesus would accomplish on the cross for us. And that is the new covenant. Amen. It's just through the Old Testament pointing to Jesus because he was coming. The Messiah was coming. Everything that God set up was just pointing to the Messiah. And he told Abram right from the very beginning, this was his plan. God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And do not listen to those who say different. He's a gracious and loving God. Verse 11. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. So Paul had already proved this point in the scripture by examining the life of Abraham. Now he brings up another passage from the Old Testament from Habakkuk 2.4. Which reminds us that the just live by faith and not by law. Did you see those key words in that statement though? Just. Live faith. Those who have been justified by God must live by faith. You're not just justified and then you can live however you want to. And you don't live by sight. By doing the works and said, I've done the good works so I must be good. It's by faith. Is that important? Because the Jews themselves sense that because none can keep the law perfectly, salvation could not come through keeping the law. This is why they place such emphasis on the descendants from Abraham, essentially trusting in Abraham's merits to save them. Because they sense their own merits could not. Very simplicity. My mom and dad are Christians. They love the Lord. I'm okay. God will love me. God will take me with them. (laughs) It's funny how kids don't want to be around their parents until it comes to the end times. (laughs) I want to attach to my parents. (laughs) They'll take me into heaven because mom will never let me go. No, mom doesn't have that much control over God. It's a personal relationship with God. Not through your descendants not grandpa Grandma was my warrior, prayer warrior that's going she's going to make me sure she talks to God for me right those who say they're they know God but they don't know they don't want to talk to God directly so they go to someone else they know who is really tight with God can you pray for me let's pray have you prayed no 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 you pray for me he hears you he hears your prayers grandma please help me i'm in deep trouble Of course, anyone who has a relationship with God will pray and intercede. Grandma's been praying for you your whole life. But Grandma's going to usher you with her. Let's let's go talk to God together. No one is justified by the law, law. The just shall live by faith. If you've been found just, You've been found, approved, accepted by God because of the faith you've put in Jesus Christ. And your life has been changed. You know, if you go back today, you'll see the same truth, the just shall live by faith in Romans 1.17. You will see it in Hebrews 10.38. And of course you see it here in Galatians 3.11. In verse 12, Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. So the Old Testament tells us that approval by God through the law must be earned by actually living in obedience to the law, not just trying it. You're going to live by the law. You're going to have to keep that law, and you can't just sit there and I'll try it. Let's let me check it out and see how I feel about it. You are committed to have to keep the law. But the man who does them shall live by them. Some might come back to Paul and say, "Look, I've done my best. I can. I've I've tried. I've, I've done the law here and there. And and why don't and the." Faith will cover the rest of what I don't do. I'm mix and matching however I want to do it. I'll, I'll keep the law here, but everything else will just go by faith. God will look at my performance. He'll notice that I've been doing really good this week. Maybe, maybe, maybe the last two days of this week. He'll notice I've been doing good. I haven't yelled at my children maybe only 10 times this week. It's been really a good week for me. He'll know my good intentions. He'll give me credit for that. I'll get credit. I showed up at church at least once this month. But the important thing is that I'm really trying, Paul. I'm really trying, Paul. from the Old Testament itself, that this simply isn't good enough. No, the passive approval by the law and faith don't run together. They don't go together. They're separate and distinct. And the man who does want to follow the law has to live it. This quote from Leviticus 18.5 is clear. If you want to live by the law, you must do it. Not just try to do it, not intend to do it, not even want to do it at all. But no, it is the only the man who does them who shall live by them. See, so many people will comfort each other by good intentions. We all mean very well here. We're trying our best. You're trying to be righteous by keeping the do's and don'ts and religi- religiosity. Good intentions are not good enough. A good effort isn't enough. Only actual performance will do. And so, this passage here in Leviticus eighteen five is another often quoted principle from the Old Testament. We see it in Nehemiah nine twenty nine. He quotes it in a great prayer for Israel. The Lord himself quoted it through the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 20 and 21. And Paul also quotes it again in Romans ten five to get the point across. If you're going to live by the law, these do's and don'ts, you better keep them perfectly, or you're in trouble. But the effect of Paul's use of scripture here is to be overwhelming to his readers that it, that is not going to work. You must believe God by faith. And then he finally we'll finish up here in verses 13 and 14. Christ has redeemed us. This is the good news now. Paul is saying, okay, we got that nailed down here. Now let me give you the good news to help you breathe. He says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law that you were under. He purchased you from that. He set you free from that. Having become a curse for us, how did he purchase you from the curse? With his own life. For it is written, curse cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Because we don't actually do it and do it all, the law put us under a curse. And But now Jesus has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Redeemed as the idea of buying back. Purchasing out of. It isn't just rescuing. It is a paying a price to rescue. And Jesus bought us out of under the curse of the law. anymore because Jesus bought us out from under that curse. I don't know if we at times completely understand what that means. Because if we really believed God and we consistently that trust is solidly in our lives every day recognizing that Jesus paid his life for you personally and all he looks from your life now is what just to love him just just to worship him but one thing I've found and is clear in the scripture if you have no desire to worship him it's because you don't trust him because if you don't trust him you can't worship him it's that simple of understanding but god has made a way by his son to and has freed you from the curse to be able to worship him Like Abraham. Abraham believed God. Then God blessed him and gave him the promise of the Spirit through faith. And if you will just put your trust in God's promise to you and I, what's that promise? The promise of salvation, that promise of faith in Jesus Christ will, will re- bring you out from. Maybe today someone is here today and hasn't given their life to Jesus Christ. They haven't trusted God. They don't, haven't believed God. And you are under a curse. Do you know you can be set free? And be free indeed? Because all you have to do is choose to believe what God has done for you. He died for your sin on the cross at Calvary. He was buried, he rose from the dead, and he lives to want a relationship with you. And if you will just trust him, he will free you from the curse that we see in the script. You cannot be good enough to go to heaven. Has your account, has your personal account been chained by God? Has he into your life? Has he come into your life? For that to happen, you first must surrender your life to him. May it be today.